Hi everyone. Hi. Again. It's good to be here. Thanks, babe. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I got my breakfast in bed this morning. That was pretty sweet. So, <coughs> so photovoltaic inverters, okay? They usually operate at unity power factor. And, um, and due to this fact, the reactive power is pretty much zero. Um, and, and the whole capacity of the inverter can be dedicated then to real power. None of you are getting this, hey? It's just, I uh, stutter or, or, or what's going on? Of course, I, for, I forgot the introduction, you know? Like, as we just saw demonstrated, how important are introductions? Okay, introductions, they're really important. If we want to have any idea of what is going to come next, there was a few people here, but they, you know, obviously learned it on the stuff. But the rest of us, no idea. First time I heard that sentence, I was probably like, what? As well. So, as we've said today, first day is our first bite of Revelation. Um, Parky took us through a helicopter pilot's flyover of some blessings that are in there for us last week. Um, and so that was really good. He gave us some guiding principles around that. But today we start biting off chapters and chunks of chapters, and today we're in chapter one. So, talking about introductions again, um, classic definition of an introduction, it's, you know, talked about, banged on a lot in school, it's drummed into us, introduction of a report, what do we do? We tell people what we want to tell them, then in the body of the report we tell them what we want to tell them, and then in the conclusion we tell them what we've told them. (laughs) So, that's pretty simple, isn't it? We're all on board there. So, something really, um, really tremendous about the Bible is all the levels of ordered structure within inside of it. Um, you know, we have 66 books, individual books, okay, but then they make up, well, each of those books actually are in and of themselves complete books. And then they've got their own storyline arcs and narratives and all that sort of stuff. So they're complete books by themselves, but then when you put them back in with the other 65 books, they're like that Indiana Jones puzzle that when it slots in, you know, it starts to glow and resonate and reverberate and everything sort of makes sense. There's logical flow between them, just like chapters in a book. Now, think about your favourite book, all right, your favourite novel, whatever. Um, what happens in the final chapter? I'm not psychic and I haven't been stalking your bookshelves either, but I'm willing to bet with a bit of a... Actually, no, I'm not going to bet. I always get caught in talking about my betting habits up here. Um, to, I'll, I'll, I'll take a chance. No, I won't do that either. Let's just say with a 99% certainty rate that in that final chapter of your book... Um, Everything that was wrong in the book, everything, all the conflict, everything that was driving the storyline all the way through is set right. And all those loose ends, all those Chekhov guns that have been hanging around the place, they are all brought together and tied off neatly in the, in the um, final chapter. And obviously, if you're a Disney tragic, there's the, <laughs> and they all lived happily ever after in the final chapter as well. So, it is in our final chapter, in this final book of the Bible, we have 
a conclusion and a setting right of everything as we understand it um, from the created order in the universe. So in addition to being the final book of the Bible, the Revelation is also in a smaller scale a full book in and of itself. And more correctly, it's a bunch of messages sent to seven churches in Western Turkey for each one of those churches' benefit and all of their churches' benefits and us as a wider church's benefit. So in being a book in, on, of itself, obviously, close the circle, it has an introduction, okay, to lead us in to the complete idea that it wants to get across um, to us. It doesn't just start blasting at us from the middle of nowhere like I did earlier, such that we have no idea what's going on or where it's going to happen, where it's going to lead to. It doesn't do that. So if ever there was a book that needed an introduction, this probably is top of the pile. So that's good. Now, um, yeah, so just before I invite Nicole up to read um, chapter one, you able to come up? Holding a little lethal weasel there. Um, just before I get Nicole to come up and read chapter one, um, I just want us to take a quick squeeze at the blessing that is contained in chapter 1 for us so we can read and understand this in light of this blessing. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Okay, so when Nicole comes up to read this to us, there is some blessing to be applied to her for reading it to us and some blessing to be applied to us as we listen to her read it to us. And then another, and, and the blessing also for us as we do what is contained here. So my, as, as we read this we don't, and move through Revelation, we don't want to just head knowledge it. We want to let it seep through and into our hearts and massage it down in there because that is the engine room for where all these are driven from, like arms and legs. Okay, that's how, as Parky brought to us last week, our aim is to do Revelation. So, um, Nicole, would you be able to come up here and read Revelation chapter 1 for me, please? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God 
and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Great. Thanks, Nicole. Okay, so first things first, let's talk about what this book is. Okay, to start with, I feel that for this, I think I'm going to have to iron out a bit of a heavy crease that is embedded in a lot of people's minds um, so that we can, uh, as, as we look at the rest of the book, we can pry it open rightly and understand it properly. Um, so just come with me on this one. Um, from early on in our Christian life, when we're little baby Christians, we just have that insatiable desire to read lots of God's Word and we, we read it and we're just, you know, just getting stuck into it. And then we get to Revelation and all the heavy symbolism and things, it's all just a little bit too hard. We understand it's important, we understand it's in there for a reason, but we sort of backshelf it. That's cool, the scholars can fight over that later. And that's our attitude towards it. But then as we grow, we understand that it's really cool that the, cor- that the curtains of time have been pulled apart a little bit for us to see down this corridor of time, albeit with some foggy, warped glasses on, so that there's details there, but they're sort of up for an interpretation. And this place is unfortunately where a lot of well-intentioned people and Christians sadly stay. If, if you're a social media or a YouTube user, you've probably seen plenty of examples of this where there'll be a news article and then some guy will come along and predict, said that he saw it coming because he'll quote some verse from Revelation. And the, in, in Christian media even, the amount of channels that are just dedicated just talking about future events and unfulfilled prophecy and different things. It's just really astounding. There is so much effort just looking at events. Now, I feel that we, Willowburn, we shouldn't be happy just sitting in that category, just, just talking about future world events, like how the Bible predicted the Brexit or not. I don't know. We need to think, we need to think and we need to ask ourselves why. Why, why are these curtains of time pulled back? 
for us to see down their corridor, even though it's with some foggy, warped glasses. Why? Why has God the Father allowed God the Son to reveal these things to us? Why? Yeah, look, I get it. It's interesting to talk about future events, but if all you're doing when you come to this book is just looking for events, then you are missing, you are completely missing the main event. The first few words of this book tell us what that main event is, this main event. The book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, right at the beginning, it's as clear as day, this book is for revealing, disclosing and unveiling Jesus Christ. All else in this book comes secondary to that. Everything comes secondary to knowing and understanding him better. Okay, let's think of it like this as an example, okay? A huge sporting event or concert, if you don't like sport, is coming to your country or coming to a a city near you and you are pumped, okay? This is like the World Cup Grand Final. This is like Champions League Final. This is like if you swing this way, the state of origin deciders. This is like the Super Bowl. This is Michael Bublé, if you're Adrian. This is, this is massive, okay? This is, a, this is a huge event, and you are, you are so pumped. And you've done your research. You know exactly when in your time zone the tickets are going to go on sale. So that morning you're out, and you've got your, your laptop open. You've got your coffee ready to go. You've got Ticketek open, and you're smashing refresh. You know, that 9 o'clock ticks around. Refresh, refresh, refresh. Oh, sweet. You know, got in. Grab yourself some awesome premium tickets. Check out. They get to the checkout. You're like, oh, no. They're like a week's wages for these tickets. You're like, okay. All right, it's okay. I can justify this. Once in a lifetime, throw it on the credit card. I'll think about it later. So you do that, okay? And then you're at school and you're at work and you're bragging to everyone. You're telling them how awesome these premium tickets that you've got to this massive event and it's coming Get excited with me, everybody. Okay? You start booking your flights, you book your accommodation, you do your research from where, how you're going to get from your motel, you're going to get to your stadium, you, you, you have everything mapped out, you do not want to miss this. So months, weeks and months roll past and then the event day finally comes and you get to the stadium early, you'll be battling crowds of frenzied fans on public transport all morning to get there, all day. And then you join the throngs of queuing people trying to get into the stadium. And the atmosphere is just electric, it's buzzing, it is just, excitement is building, there's just all the talk and chatter of the fans that you're, you're crushing with, they're just trying to get into the, through the stalls. After queuing for hours, you get your tickets scanned and you go through the turnstiles and you walk through and you see the stadium. She's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm here. This is amazing. There's a beautiful, beautifully mown, manicured lawn, a little bit of water glistening on it under the massive lights, perfectly marked lines. Everything is perfectly laid out for this huge event that's about to happen. So you're here, you've made it. You close your mouth, wipe the dribble off your chin, and you go over to the food and drink stall. You buy yourself an overpriced beer, you buy yourself an overpriced pie, and you buy some $12 chips, because (laughs) chips, okay? 
you hear the crowd, you, you look around the stadium and here's the crowd filtering down the aisles, they're taking their seats, excitement's to build, building, teams start, some players start coming out to sort of say hi to the crowds and then they disappear back up the, the walkways before they come out to, for their training and their warm-up. And then you head over to the merchandise tent, you buy yourself some overpriced merchandise, you need a cap, you need a scarf and you need a jersey. So you shell out big cash for them as well. Then you hear the crowd build up more as the teams properly come out, the best players in the world, the best two best teams of the competition, and they come out and the, the fans are just going nuts and singing and cheering. And they're, they're, the, the, the volume just swells through this whole massive stadium. And then you hurry over to the paper stand you need a souvenir program of this game, yeah? Okay, so you go and buy one for the bargain basement rip-off price of 30 bucks, and you grab one of them too, and I've got all my stuff now. This is great. And then as the referee, the players have taken their positions, referee's about to blow time on, lifts the whistle to his lips. He's just about to blow time on as you, clutching your overpriced merchandise, chomp into your overpriced pie, Flicking through your program, you walk out of the stadium with a smile on your face, completely happy in the fact that you came, exact, you got exactly what you came for. Now, if your only purpose for reading and studying and being interested in this book is just to get out what happens in the future, like some sort of Christianized crystal ball, then you're the dude sitting on the park bench chomping into his overpriced pie, where, idolizing his overpriced merchandise and flicking through just pages of players when the real spectacle is happening in the stadium there. And this book of Revelation is primarily revealing Jesus to us to understand who he is better and secondary to that, it reveals current truths and events yet to come, and it reveals these in two different ways, some clearly and some with heavy symbolism, with the foggy glasses we talked about earlier. So, the, the main thing to understand here is that these events are shown to us so that we can understand more completely who our Saviour Jesus is in and through them. Okay, think of this revealing in Revelation as the third part of a trilogy called Revealing Jesus by John, okay? The first one, the Gospel of John. We all know that. We're all familiar with that. We've just been through that book. John reveals to us the Word made flesh, okay? He reveals to us the God-man Jesus Christ and his life, death, burial, resurrection here on earth. That's our first introduction, really, of the God-man Jesus that John gives us. And then the second part of the trilogy is three parts themselves. It's kind of like they broke it up in a movie. If they were making a movie out, they break it into three parts to get more money out of it, you know? But they did. Old joke, don't worry about it. But it's the, the three epistles that John wrote, okay? Of a life lived in love through the Spirit, provided by the life lived and the death died by Jesus Christ. And now this, this is our, our final and third part, the finale, and we see through this vision given to John, the glorified Lord Jesus 
Christ and the different facets and the roles in his glorification. So do we get that? That's our, our outline, that's our, that's our structure. Yes, as sinful humans, all we would really want when we come to this book is to just get a bit of an idea of what's going to happen next, get our curiosity bones tickled, and that when we'd be completely happy with that. But the main focus of this book brings light and life and reassuring, um, well, sorry, convicting reassurance. The main focus of our adoration in this book should be our Jesus. He is, as, as he's unveiled more to us, we get special little aspects of who he is and they're peeled open in this book and we get to see more the preciousness and completeness of who he is. So that's our focus. Keep Jesus always at the front of your minds as we move through this chapter and through the rest of the book. Um, Keep thinking as we move through this book, what is Jesus doing here? Why is he portrayed like this? And why is this good news? So, first couple of verses. Tucked away in these opening verses is an intriguing glimpse into a heavenly communication channel. Okay? Who had an overseas pen pal as a child before electronic communications destroyed all cool letters and things? Claudette had one, I had one, Raji had one, a few others had them. Yeah, that's great. I was a terrible pen pal, and Andrea in Germany, if this is recorded and you're listening somehow, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was terrible. She sent me probably 13 letters, I probably sent her two. I even got some money off her, so for full disclosure, you know. I was, just, I was a very bad pen pal, but that's what my 10-year-old self. But isn't it amazing that that old-school letter that you would get in your letterbox made it all the way from the other side of the world to you in a complete, orderly fashion, safely, not damaged, maybe a few bends here and there, but it's completely fine for, for you to read it, for you to understand it. And those little stamps that were all over it and you would have no idea what they meant, the little codes on them, whatever, but that was a sorting station that sorted it and it, as it left it stamped there, it left an airport, it got stamped there, it arrived at an airport, it got stamped there. And if you knew what those little codes and all those stamps meant, then you'd be able to understand the order and the, the complexity of the system that brought this little piece of paper from one side of the world to the other side of the world to you safely, orderly, on time. So with that idea in mind, that's a terrible analogy for how perfect a system we see here. Okay, so just ditch that one. That's a burner. This one's the one to, one to look at. We see here in these first couple of verses the flow amongst the Godhead of how the message of Revelation was delivered to man. Okay, firstly we see the message is given from God the Father who is the first member of the Trinity given to God the Son, the first, the second member of the Trinity. Jesus then uses a messenger, an angel, uses the services of the angel to send the message to John, who receives it while, verse 10, in the Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. Okay, so there we understand the message trail. All members of the Godhead um, are involved, playing their roles perfectly in an orderly system, the Son, in perfect submission to the Father's directions, because the Son is the outworking Word, 
sending an angel and a messenger, and then the Spirit facilitating that given message by moving in the life of the servant, John, to convict and to prompt and to bring to mind this message. So in these first two verses, we see our triune God working in perfect harmony and unity to reveal his message to us. Now, just out of curiosity, who's, who has read through Revelation completely once, twice, 18 times in this month? Oh, excellent leading up in the last month. Not like, not like when you were 12 and had no idea what it meant. Yeah, okay. Substantially less, but still lots of us, which is great. So I'm really encouraged by that anyway. So yeah, I have read through this a lot lately, sometimes fast, sometimes really slow, taking in all the details or trying to as much as I can. Um, And I've sort of formed up uh, an idea of a sort of outline, a sort of structure for Revelation. It's what my brain does to help me understand things. And so I'll roll through... um, Actually, no, just... My structure is really based around how... Jesus is revealed, the roles that Jesus is revealed in through the book. And so I'll roll through them in, in a bit of an eye, in, in order here, and we'll get a bit of an idea of, because this is what John, in his vision, what John sees is represented of the rest of the book, but it's sort of in an introductory sense when he sees this vision of the Son of Man that we will get to soon. So my first chunk that I sort of rolled into one. Um, as in a role around Jesus, is the first section is probably in about the first three chapters, including this introductory chapter, and then the two chapters following it, which contain the seven messages to the seven churches. Um, And we get from these an understanding of um, Christ knowing and watching over and understanding and being amongst his church, Um, sending messages to them to encourage them in their good works and sending messages to, um, you know, um, put them down in their bad practices. So we can understand from that that Jesus there is revealed as um, like an exalted ministering priest. So it's a priestly role in our first three chapters that Jesus is revealed as. The second section sort of comes in... um, well, it does come in chapters 4 and 5 where we see an op- we have, through John's vision, an open door into the heavenly throne room. Now, this is awesome. Okay, now, I know the word awesome in pop culture has lost its awesomeness, but awesome, the word awesome really does need to be reformed so that it can get back to its core because this is the perfect um, use for it really here. All right, now, if you haven't read chapters 4 and 5 lately, I encourage you just to do it. Just go slowly, pick through the details and let it just form up and build the scene in your mind because it, it really is spectacular. But anyway, our focus here, where we really see where Jesus is revealed is in, in chapter 5, um, probably from somewhere from verse 6 onwards, where John sees the slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of all heaven's multitudes and everyone's just bowing down, worshipping and singing praises to him. And this is, just, this is Jesus being revealed as the glorified lamb. And then thirdly, 
for the majority of the book, actually, the glorified lamb takes the scroll of God's judgment from him who sits on the throne and opens it over the course of the chapters from chapter 6 through to about chapter 18, I think it is. Yep, chapter 18, where over the course of those chapters, the seals are broken, the trumpets are sounded, the bowls are poured out. This is, this is God's judgment on the earth and its inhabitants. And this is Jesus revealed as the perfect judge of the whole world. And then everybody's favourite part in chapter 19 comes our, it just blows the veil off his everlasting identity and in comes charging our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's revealed in chapter 19 onwards. <laughs> Return of the King. Thanks, Raji. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's our major, that's our book outline of the major roles, okay, that Jesus has fulfilled and it'd be entirely possible to preach a sermon on each one of those, but we can't, so don't have the time. Sorry, guys. So anyway, that's my introduction to the introduction. How are we going for time? Are we all right? What time do I start? I can't remember. Eutychus is cactus out the back. So anyway, with the introduction of our introduction introduced and all that groundwork laid, um, let's get to John's vision of the Son of Man and look to the unveiling of Christ to see, um, to see and understand him more fully. I'm just going to re-read a section of chapter 1, starting at verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was in the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash across his chest the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a fire. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him... I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So here we have John, an old man by now, in exile on an island called Patmos, put there to... Um, to keep him under control and stop him spreading the word of God and his testimony of Jesus. This was the empire's attempt at quelling that Christian wacko outbreak. Apparently, it didn't get any legs. That was a joke, people, anyway. <laughs> John is worshipping in the spirit, okay, faithfully through his aged hardship. And, and, and what does he hear? A trumpet blast, voice blasting behind him. Now imagine for a second you're off by yourself meditating on the Lord and you hear a trumpet behind you. 
Yeah, exactly. I don't know what I'd do. You might remember a few Sundays ago we discussed this around Exodus 19, you know, where we, even Tim mentioned, actually, it's really been great how the whole service has just sort of pulled together parts of what I want to talk about here, but Tim even referred to it, or was it Raji? I can't remember. Exodus 19, where Moses brought the people out to meet God, brings them up to Mount Sinai, this trumpet is blasting louder and louder out of it, and then God speaks to, through thunder to Moses. Now, the trumpets here, like there are lots of, we discussed um, with Pete and co on Friday morning, we discussed the, lots of types of trumpets in the Bible, but these trumpets are the Lord's way of announcing his presence. Now, now, maybe it was John's age or the fact that he was sitting down or something for some reason so that when a trumpet blasts, he didn't spin around immediately. The voice was able to list out the seven chapters that, this, that the written version of this vision was to go out to. So the voice lists all these seven churches and then John is able to turn around and what does he see? John turns and Jesus, the glorified Son of Man, is revealed. Now let's take a look through the symbolism and the references of of what he sees there. So he sees the Son of Man standing among seven golden lampstands, which are the seven churches. It's revealed as being the seven churches later and that this letter, this book, is to go out to. So he is amongst his church like a ministering priest. Okay, he's clothed in a long white robe with a golden sash like a priestly attire. He's got white hair like white wool, like snow, showing him as the everlasting to everlasting or the ancient of days from Daniel 7 or 9, somewhere in there. White like wool also represents the purity from required for sacrificial lambs. His eyes are like a flame, flaming fire and they're burning, just cutting through all pretense and rubbish and garbage and distraction and they are seeing right to the core. They're all seeing, all knowing and he's able to, because of that, judge all things perfectly. And he's got feet like burnished bronze, strong and steadfast like a king's and then he's also holding the seven stars, which are the angels or messengers to his seven churches that this book is to go out to, confirming his role of that ministering priest. And then out of his mouth, he's got a sharp sharp two-edged sword, which is his word used to judge perfectly, sorry, carry out punishment in his judging role and carry out conquest in his kingly role. He's got a face like the sun, which is impossible for man to look at. And then John fell at his feet as though dead. Now, if you meet the queen or a king, what do you do? You curtsy, you bow, you kneel if you're getting knighted. How much mightier is this king that John's immediate compulsion is just to fall on his face like he's dead? Just... I know that would hurt if you've got a big snoz, but, you know, it would, like, it's just... What... You just do that, like he's just done that. I am the first and the last. That's another reference to the Daniel 7, the Ancient of Days and the Psalm 90, Everlasting to Everlasting. And he says he is the living one. 
He says, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. That is this slain lamb now standing in the midst of all the heavenly beings that we see further on in Revelation 5. And he also has the keys of death and Hades. Now, how powerful is this king? He's conquered and he's taken control of even the passage to and from death. Not just, I'm going to kill you and that's it. No, kill you, send you there, take you back, whatever. He owns the passage. Now, I wish I could delve into all those references as they are deep and many, but I'm sure you get the point there because John is just setting an introductory sense. He is... um, sort of alluding to these, these personalities that are going to be further revealed as Revelation goes on. And as Revelation is played out. Now, I'm sorry I've taken a little while to get to here, but this is my main point of learning that I have got from this that I'm here to share with you today. And it is based on my um, amazement in the completeness of who Christ is shown to be here. Now, I know that might sound obvious, but sort of let me explain why it is amazing when, you, when it's thought out a little bit further. Okay, the four roles of the Lord Jesus that are revealed here, and as we've seen, uh, get explored further and in more detail as Revelation goes on, um, are the priest, a lamb, a judge and a king. Now, to be all of those at once presents a bit of a quandary doesn't it? So, how can a priest, how can one be a priest and yet be a lamb that the priest sacrifices? Or how can one be a priest that takes man to God and yet be an all-perfect judge that sees and knows everything and will judge every word, thought and deed? And how can one be an independent and impartial judge and yet a ruling king? And how can one be a conquering king and yet be a sacrificial lamb? How are these roles compatible? Where where do they intersect? Where does one stop and the other begin? How is there any resolution amongst that? How can these seeming paradoxes find any harmonious sort of meshing? So we'll think of, let's think of a couple. Let's think of the, the priest and the lamb How can a priest sacrifice a lamb when he also is the lamb being sacrificed? How can a priest take men to God as the go-between if he is to be killed to atone for the sins of men that he is representing? I'll tell you a story. This is how. Okay, Around 2,000 years ago, in the afternoon leading up to the Passover... As all through the nation of Israel, the sacrificial the Passover lambs were being slaughtered and prepared, there hung a man dying, nailed to a rough timber frame beside a highway. As the final sacrifice for sins in a cosmic, shaking move that brought the ability for all men everywhere to come to God. And that sacrificial lamb was the go-between. The mediator, the ultimate priest, taking man to God. So will I burn behold your priest? And will I burn behold your lamb? 
Now, these days we're also not familiar with a prime minister or a president ruling over a courtroom, sitting as judge over a courtroom. That system is open to all sorts of corruption, uh, as was the case of old when kings would rule also and sit at the head of a court. If there was any uprisings trying to question the motives of the crown, be they even unsavoury ones, they could be crushed with the full force of the law from the judge, who was also the king who decreed those laws used to crush it. So now we understand that we need to keep these two institutions separate, okay, because natural man is at his core deceitful and wicked. And the only way the roles of a king and a judge can be both fulfilled in the one being is if that being is perfect and purely benevolent and completely set apart and holy and absolutely above reproach. Now, all these characteristics are inherent in... That's exactly right, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we see through John's vision there, we see Jesus with eyes of flaming fire. And we have a symbol of our fallen judicial system in Lady Justice. Okay, she holds scales, she holds a sword, and what's over her eyes? A blindfold, exactly. So the blindfold is there as a workaround to limit mankind's um, natural prejudices that would interfere with a fair ruling. There is no blindfold over the eyes of this judge. This is a perfect judge who judges without prejudice and in complete fairness. There is no need as prejudice is not in any part, any form of his nature. Not in any form, any part of his nature, I should say. He only has fiery eyes that see and burn straight through all hay and straw and false evidence and pretense and lies. This is the perfect judge who is the only one found worthy to open the scroll of God's judgment because he is God. And will I burn, behold your judge. And then this judge king, after judging, puts down his gavel, that's that little hammer thing, I think, and he takes up his crowns and he jumps on his mighty white steed of war and gallops into battle against the little kings of earth. And these little kings and mighty men whose very atoms of their bodies are held together by this conquering king go out to fight him. I don't even need a spoiler alert for that, how that ends. Yes, our conquering king, Lord Jesus, along with those of us who love him and have put our trust in him, will stampede into battle one day following our king. His eyes flaming fire, his word with, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword, this powerful word that brought the universe into existence, calmed storms, raised people to life, This word he will use to strike down and crush his enemies and rule them with a rod of iron. His enemies, our enemies, will be put down and ruled perfectly, justly, by the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
Amen. 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 Will I then behold your king? Now, Will I Burn, as we study this book together, let's stay in the stadium to admire the main event and behold the revelation of Jesus Christ in whom our salvation is complete through every past trial, current trials and the trials that are soon to come. Okay, eyes on Jesus, be ready. Thanks.